Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 235 here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And uh, as I start the show, I want to tell you guys, you got to join our Patreon. I do my good morning fuckhead rants almost daily. Skipped it today. Had a horrible day, but yet I am recording this podcast for you, the people, because uh, I adore you so very much. But you got to get in on this. You go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. You get our Conspiracy Corners. A brand new one just came out on uh, just last week, actually. I have Do Nothing Man right now. The one and only Roger Paxton. Yes, of the Lava Flow. I have brought him back from the bowels of the earth from which he is farming, and he is recording the narration for the new Do Nothing Man episode as we speak here. Uh, it's going to be fantastic about the Masketeers, so you don't want to miss that. The return of Roger Paxton, guys. How does it get any better? That voice, that iconic Roger Paxton voice. And of course, we also have our video content, our live feeds that go out to our secret pride group on Facebook, etc. So make sure to join that today, as little as $5. And not only that, but you can also influence the show by, uh, well, First off, you could get on Mufasa calls, which are $25 a month. And uh, we actually have one of those later tonight. And for the low, low price of $50, you can actually help produce the show. And what we mean by that is that you can actually have us perform a uh, a review. You can suggest a topic. You get to produce a show here at the Lions of Liberty and decide what we talk about. One show per entry there. So uh, again, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Don't miss out. Don't be a jerk. Um, kick it in the show, guys. So as you can tell, I'm doing video again. If you're watching here on YouTube, if you're just listening to the podcast, head on over to our YouTube channel, just youtube.com forward slash Lions of Liberty and uh, pop that subscribe button. Tell a friend also, make my day a little better here. But we're doing some more videos. So here's my video uh, contribution here, just talking to the mic as I do. Um, I was heading back from San Diego visiting my cousin, his husband, and another cousin of mine who had flown out from uh, the state of Ohio. I'm not sure how free that state is right now, but uh, he flew out from, actually, no, I'm sorry. He flew out from Boise, Idaho, which I believe is fairly free right now. He said there's not much going on in the ways of masks, but Boise apparently is the new Austin. And uh, Austin, of course, is the new LA. So uh, Boise in no time is going to be a a real shithole. But I was driving back from San Diego, making this road trip back. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a little hungover, but I'm still kind of feeling the effects of the night before. My brain's still churning and circulating. So I get to thinking about how we message, right? And the ways in which we talk to people and why we have so much of an issue, right? As libertarians, we have so much issue cracking through and getting to people on a personal level. And it's not just because of the autism, guys. I know everybody says, well, you know, the autism. It's not just the autism. It is also because the way in which we talk about messaging, the way in which we talk about what we believe in, the principles that we believe in, is not ideal. And it's a very simple thing and a very profound thing that I think I've stumbled across here as, again, I was uh, quasi hungover driving my way back from San Diego. As you might have guessed by the title of the episode, it all boils down to your 
not the or the, however you want to pronounce it in your neck of the woods. Now, what I mean by that is that when we talk about the things that matter most to us, when we talk about things that libertarians are strong on, which is everything, but when we get out to the nitty gritty of it, the things that we are historically strong on historically have the strongest foothold when we talk about how we argue with people and how we try to get people to see our point of view, the way in which we view the world. We talk about things like the war on drugs, the police state. We talk about the Federal Reserve. We talk about the, you know, drug war. So think about how that impacts people, because we're not talking to these people specifically in their own terms, reaching out to them as individuals, right? We're not talking about their communities head on. Right? When we're talking about the war on drugs, when we describe it in that, that way, it's this monolithic thing that they may or may not have been involved with. Yes, there are a lot of people that we know that were, that were you know, incarcerated for using marijuana, we were incarcerated for nonviolent crimes that were still in jail to this day because of that three strike rule nonsense that's still uh, still being applied in many places. When we talk about things monolithically, the war on drugs, we lose the impact to the everyday person, right? The way in which we talk, like most people who are living in nice neighborhoods, most suburban voters, most of the people that push the most progressive practices right? Or most of the people that push the most conservative practices that might be against the war, or, or sorry, for the war on drugs are people that are probably not directly affected by it, right? We think about that. Think about your, your Christian conservative buddy who's pro-war on drugs. He thinks that every person that uses drugs that has ever smoked marijuana, that's ever snorted a little heroin or whatever it might be, he thinks those people are sick. They just discover the earth. Why does he think that? Well, because he's never encountered them. Because her parent-teacher association doesn't have a lot of people that are openly using drugs or have been impacted by the war on drugs. So they don't associate that with their communities. Thus, we need to change the way in which we address that topic with these people, right? Take the military-industrial complex. We talk about this thing, again, monolithically. Well, the military-industrial complex is terrible because of X, Y, and Z, all right? It's spending all this money. It's sending people off to, off to fight in these wars. But how many people really go that you know? We have to adjust that phrasing so that it is not the military complex. It is how your family is being affected by that, how your children can be impacted by this military-industrial complex, how your children are at a higher risk now than they were 50 years ago because of the way in which the military-industrial complex impacts people in your community, right? Your children have a higher chance of being murdered by some militants because of the way in which our government has operated overseas, that we've been involved with the Middle East for so long, that we've been involved in Africa for so long. Do you think your children should be put at more risk of this? In the meantime, when we talk about your savings and the way that your money is being, uh, being basically pilfered by the federal government, that brings us right into the Fed talk, right? But we can't just say to people, well, the Federal Reserve prints all this money and that's really a terrible thing. Most people's eyes will glaze over and they won't know exactly what to say to you or they'll just write you off. They'll say, well, I'm not seeing that necessarily that impact in my everyday life. Again, start that conversation, not with the, but with your. 
again, this is, sounds like a very simple change, but you have to think of the psychological impact it has when you're discussing topics with people. Because your savings are decreasing in value every day that goes by under this money printing policy. Your money, your ability to pay your bills, your ability to go to the store and buy groceries for your children, that is being impacted by this monetary policy. Your job is paying you less every single day because of this fiscal policy. And maybe your company is better than most. Maybe your company has a cost of living increase that is more effective than others, but we're coming out of a pandemic wherein your favorite business was forced to shut down. Your favorite restaurant is gone. Your children had their education removed from. You see what I'm saying here? It's your. This makes people think about the ways, right? More than a the, more than a monolithic institution that they don't think necessarily how they're being impacted on a personal level. When you say your, they will start actively looking psychologically for how they are being impacted. What is that effect on me? When you're talking about my children, I start thinking about how that impact is going to hit them, how that impact is going to hit me. If you're talking about my savings during this, if you're talking about my favorite restaurant, I start thinking to myself, God damn, how many other restaurants have gone out of business that I enjoyed right now? You can see why I think this is such an important phase shift in how we address these topics and why I was driving back from San Diego and just had this dumbfounded look on my face. Because I do think when you look at all of the philosophy that we put out there, when you look at all of the writing that has been put out there, it is always addressing these things as though they are neutral, that they don't have this direct, uh, direct appeal to people to make them react viscerally. Now, I spoke about this when I did my messaging earlier in the year. You know, again, this is kind of outdated now because who could have seen all of these things unfold, which they have as far as the trillions and trillions of dollars being spent. Yes, I know. Maybe I should have seen it coming even more so than I have. But still, you know, this ties in a bit into what I was saying about making people feel as personally and also having a bit of a religious fervor to this, getting people inspired, getting them to believe in something. Because if we're talking about how libertarians are going to change people's lives, how are we and our policies going to impact you? Well, when we talk about your children, your money, your savings, your military industrial complex, your children going off to die, your dangers here at home, these things start to add up and we can tell people we are going to change how your money stays in your bank account, specifically by going after the Federal Reserve and how its policies are impacting your bottom line. Think about that. Tweet at me if you agree with me. And think about it in your own daily life and how you communicate. I promise you, you will find your interactions with people are much better. You're going to have your <laughs> going to have a much better impact in your everyday life and interactions with your family. Try it out on your friends. Try it out on other libertarians and see how it works. Because I promise you, we are going to be able to communicate far better in this manner. This is going to be the strong point, the, the, the tip of my spear, if you will, insofar as how I communicate. And I'm going to be doing some speeches actually coming up. Uh, I'm going to be at uh, on July 10th. If you guys want to come out, if you're in L.A. area, I'm going to be speaking at the, the Mises event at the Reason Foundation. So uh, coming out to that one, Angela was so nice. Uh, Angela McCardle was so nice to invite me to that. So I'll be attending there. And then also I'll be speaking for the Bastiat Society. That's going to be in September. 
And I've also just confirmed, I'm very excited about this. Um, I'm going to see if any of my, I, I don't know if my lines, anybody is going to be able to join me on this one, but I believe that I am uh, going to be flying over in November, actually, to, uh, to do some speaking for the Austrian Institute over in uh, Vienna. And this is something I'm really excited about. I'm, um, as I said, I am, I was invited a few years ago and I, I remember talking to people about this and saying, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to fly over. I'm going to do the, the, uh, it's called the free market road show, right? I just want to make sure I have the exact name of the organization pulled up. So I sound, don't sound like a, a bigger imbecile than I am here, but I was supposed to go over and do some, some talks with the free market road show. And we we're going to go around uh, Europe. It's like a, a five to seven day event. And it was a lot of panels and a lot of discussions and keynotes, but focused on the free market and its concepts, you know, teaching people about that, having interesting discussions about how to move that forward. Of course, as soon as we confirm this, COVID happens. So I wasn't able to do it, but instead I was able to do some interactive panels. I was on one that I talked about with you guys talking about intellectual property, where I had actually ordered, uh, argued against intellectual property, which is kind of, kind of interesting um, because I was just having a discussion actually with, uh, with Federico Fernandez, who is the one who's inviting me to speak at this conference. Yeah, the biannual Austrian Economic Conference in Rosario, Argentina, guys. That is officially, and it's uh, the Austrian Economic Center and the Hayek Institute. So that's to be very clear where I'm going to be at. But yeah, the Austrian Economics Conference in uh, Rosario, Argentina is now going to be in Vienna, Austria this year. And it's taking place for the second time at the Austrisch National Bank. I'm sure I said that wrong. November 4th and 5th, 2021. So I'm going to be speaking there as well. And make sure to check them out, by the way. Um, Free Market Roadshow or fmrs.digital is what's going on right now. And you can also check out the uh, the Austrian Center at austriancenter.com. So um, anyway, I'd love to see what I'm going to be speaking on. I'll definitely do some shows there. But this concept, you know, this, this sharp tip of the spear of saying you're not the, talk about different ways in which we can tap into everyday li liberty, like I talked with Michael Bolden and Jason Stapleton about last week. We need to figure out these better ways to communicate with people, to resonate with people on a personal level and not just come across as people worried about these big issues that people don't really wrap their heads around unless they get deep into the libertarian philosophy, unless they start paying attention to every, uh, you know, every news article that we share or that comes out from Mises.org or the Austrian Center for that matter. Most people aren't going to read them. Most people glaze over. And most people aren't going to read the books that we recommend. You know, there's no way when you talk about man, economy and state, you're not going to send that to a random person on the street and they're not going to read it. They're not going to give a damn. But we talk about your bank account, your children, et cetera. As I already said, that's a way we can try to uh, start to resonate with people. All right. Next topic here on the old show. Actually, you know what? Before I get my next topic, I want to tell you guys about another podcast. Highly recommend it. It is called Burning Daylight. It's from a cowboy, Matt McKinley, uh, a good supporter of our show and obviously a sponsor. But uh, his show is fantastic. It's a real-life cowboy show where they're talking about everything from literal cowboying through to liberty, freedom, economics. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear. You know, we're talking about on-the-ground practical applications, talking about 
how he lives his life and how he's trying to find his own freedom and uh, in his chosen career and uh, the obstacles that they encounter, some of the friends of his that have encountered different obstacles along the way and so far as just cultural differences and how he's fighting every day for his own freedom. So check that out again, guys. Burning Daylight. Burning with an N, apostrophe, Burning Daylight. Uh, you will never hear more fascinating conversation from a real-life cowboy tying into your interest in liberty. So... Changing topics here. We have to talk about the fact that John McAfee was found dead in his dead in his cell. They say it looks like suicide. And they, of course, is the Spanish government, the Spanish police department that had McAfee in jail. Now, John McAfee was on the run. As we all know, he was accused of money laundering and some other other crimes by the U.S. government. But the interesting thing about this is that he had said, I will never suicide myself. In several different tweets and Instagram posts, he had said, if I'm ever found dead, I didn't do it, right? He has a tattoo on his arm that says money sign whacked, whacked, I believe, whacked, W-H-A-K uh, apostrophe D. I think he spelled it some funky way. But when a man goes out of his way to say, I was killed, you know, I would never have committed suicide. Now, granted, he had been approved for extradition to the United States. But at the same time, when somebody goes out of their way to say these strong phrases, to say they would never suicide himself, you have to wonder, right? You have to think to yourself, somebody got to him. Uh, somebody knew he was going to be x-rayed. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? What share? What secrets is he going to share? Because maybe he was involved in money laundering. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. McAfee was quite an interesting character. Not to say I didn't like the guy. I liked him lots. And in fact, I used to describe myself as a McAfee libertarian after his last run uh, when he was in the presidential contest because he had a natural way of speaking about liberty, about freedom, about the way he lived his life that really appealed to me. He was a naturalized libertarian. You know, he got to liberty not through reading Mises and Hayek, not through reading Rothbard, but he got there through living the lifestyle he wanted to live by creating companies, by trying to be an entrepreneur, by finding success and then finding the government crushing down on him, finding all these obstacles put in his path, but still wanting to live life on his own terms. And I think he did a great job in doing that for the most part. So rest in peace, John. I do not think you killed yourself. I think you were 100% killed, suicided, if you will. Uh, and I will be looking to see what comes out. He was promising a dead man switch. Will we get it? I don't know. I haven't seen anything come out yet. There was an interesting post on uh, Instagram just of Q, and we were talking on uh, a Bravo. I'm uh, oh, sorry, not Bravo. That's the old name of the show on the Boring Podcast, B O H R ing Podcast, which is me, uh, of course, Brian, Odie, Rico, and Howie. And, uh, or sorry, Brian, Odie, Howie, Rico, B O H R Boring Podcast, wherein uh, we were talking a little bit about that. So check that show out too, by the way. It's a fucking hilarious podcast. It is a pure comedy shooting the shit. We do a little bit of reality TV breakdowns. We're just starting up below deck Mediterranean. Talk a little bit nine day fiance, but also we have fun. We tell jokes, crack wise and play a lot of fun little games in the meantime that we've been making up as we're going along. Uh, my favorite recent one is called what's in that ass, wherein we try to do a little 20 questions as far as people that have gone into the emergency room and we, uh, we try to figure out what's up that butt. So anyway, McAfee probably has a story if we're being perfectly honest about that. But we were talking about how he had posted this Q Instagram, right, post and how that was just uh, interesting. 
And that you go, okay, maybe it'd be pretty funny if he was Q, you know, like from QAnon and just had been messing with people this entire time. <laughs> just He's just posting shit to get people riled up and go out and you know, do stuff. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, all right. Next topic I want to move on to is that uh, a fact checker named Pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R, demands local news reduce their crime coverage because it fuels, quote unquote, systematic racism. Now, two things on that. Number one, local news coverage is pure garbage anyway. I mean, it's in truth, every news coverage is pure garbage. If it bleeds, it leads. That exists for a reason. We know that they like to play up the dangers in society that we know like they, they, they like to convince everybody there's a murder on every corner, that your children are going to be kidnapped, that we've got, uh, I don't know, pedophiles hiding in schools. Now, some of that is true. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, and this is something that Reason's written about, um, the, you know, the uh, Free Range Kids is a big organization. I'm blanking on the name of the woman who runs it right now, but she does great work pushing back on these lies, pushing back on the concept that every child is going to be massively at risk just by walking to the end of the street, just by going to the park, and that we don't need Child Protective Services called every time to come and get your kid if they decide to skateboard one block too far into the neighborhood. But the news is to blame for that, just like the news is to blame for our understanding of COVID, our understanding of basic risks that are in society today. They are vastly exaggerated. Now, this could easily tie into government influence. We talk about the need for government because of all these dangers, right? We have to have a massive police state because of this danger and that danger. We have to surveil you on social media because of domestic extremists. We have to have CC cameras on every street corner because of pedophiles snatching your children out of shopping carts. All of these things are built up in order to buttress the state. I mean, let's be perfectly clear about that. The news is no longer a check on the state. They are working in conjunction. It's a state apparatus. We see how many members of the CIA end up working at all of these major news stations. And we and that's a trickle-down effect. In addition to that, you see more and more often now that local news is just running pre-packaged news, news stories that are issued from the government directly. We no longer have an act. It was an act that existed uh, previously that protected us from uh, domestic propaganda. That is now gone. Thus, you do see government propaganda working its way into mainstream news. Of course, the government also has its own mainstream news. They say it's targeted at a you know these people that are abroad, but it is essentially a twenty four seven news service just creating propaganda, whereas pushed out to different countries, used to convey questionable messages about the governments that they're piping these things into, but of course also really hyping up the general America's great, look at us, blah, 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 blah. But to my point here, some of those news stories are repurposed into your everyday news feeds. But saying that we have to reduce crime storage, crime story coverage specifically because it fuels systematic racism is bullshit, especially when we look at how the different, you know, we get into trouble when we try to talk to people about how it's not just talking about the impact of the war on drugs and how that impacts your community because so many people don't get impacted by it, like I was saying earlier. So how would we cover this? They say, they're saying we can't cover it because it fuels systematic racism. However, we know that disproportionately the people committing violent crimes are in fact people that are of color, be that black, be that Hispanic, 
they are predominantly people of color that are partaking in these actions. And it's a very small segment of the population, mind you. It's not like saying every black person is doing it, but there is specifically, you know, it's like young males between 16 and 30 commit something like 60% of the violent crimes that are occurring right now in the United States. And those are the ones that are reported. So to say that we shouldn't cover these crimes because it fuels systematic racism, well, that's bullshit. People need to know the basic facts. And we look to the broader Black Lives Matter movement and how the the whole concept of police shooting black people at a higher rate, that's all nonsense. It's completely incorrect. So if anything, I would argue that these crime coverages, talking about police shooting black people, if anything, are pushing back against systematic racism if you're going by the BLM definition. Because we know for a fact that if somebody is shot that's white, it gets nowhere near the coverage in the news media, now anyway, as someone that was shot that was black. In fact, we've seen news media go out of their way to not say a person's color in a news story. And that's what they're they're pushing for, by the way, is saying, take all the color out of it. And just report on this or that. And we've seen, again, like I said, it just, just recently there was an article wherein they specifically leave out the color of the person that was shot if it's not a black person. Or in the case of Portland recently, the cops shot somebody. Antifa started getting all riled up and the police actually made an active announcement, put out a press release saying, hey, everybody, chill out. We shot a white guy. <laughs> Can I get a job working for the Portland Police Department? That's all I'll do is just put up press releases that they shot white people. So it's interesting. It's kind of a two-sided thing of this. Wherein, yeah, okay, I can see what they're saying. And I agree with it in one aspect. And that comes to the larger criminal justice system, right? Because I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine named Eric. And we're talking about how so often you can have misconceptions based upon race. And why, if we're talking about the criminal justice system, why can't we have everybody come on there and almost in an anonymous anonymous way, right? You know, you've got people that are witnesses that come in, they mask their voice, they mask their face, they show them anonymously so that they can't be found out and killed by the mafia or whoever it might be. Well, can't we do that with, let's say, anybody that comes into the criminal justice system? Why does the jury have to know what color the defendant is? Why did that mean, for frankly, that would take out a lot of that jury you know, jury uh, selective process wherein you're trying to stack the jury. Let's say it's a black defendant. Now you're trying to stack the jury with all black people. Well, if they don't know what color the person is, doesn't that some, some make it a little bit easier to get a neutral jury in there? Doesn't that help everybody involved? Now, I know practically speaking, this would be hard to do because the lawyers are going to know the people. They're going to meet with the people. They're going to select the juries based on whatever. But from a jury perspective, right, as they're selecting this jury, if the jury doesn't get to see the person directly, and I know people will make an argument, well, if they can't see them directly, how can they tell the emotion on their face? How can they tell if they're lying or telling the truth? Well, I would argue that's subjective shit anyway, isn't it? How many times do we see people go to jail because they're just not good on the stand, that they look nervous, that they're sweaty? Or maybe that just the people in the jury are racist. They don't like the color of them. Like there's an equal number of arguments, in my opinion, to make against being able to see somebody in the active jury room rather than just having it be in neutral. You're in a box. Your voice is masked. Then that way they don't know what race you are, what color you are. They don't know your background. They don't necessarily even know if you have an accent or not. And they definitely can't see your face to see if you're sweating or not. Seems to me this might be something worth trying. 
seems to be taking a little bit of the subjectivity out of this process or the absolute, uh, or I'm sorry, taking the subjectivity or taking the uh, intentional subjectivity of I share a color at this person out of this process might get us a little bit better results, especially now in the current climate. Now, this one I haven't thought through as much, by the way. I don't plan to give any speeches on this, <laughs> but I figured it kind of naturally came up in the news articles going through this week. So I'd share it with you guys. All right. What's next? Um, I did want to talk about um, kind of an interesting story uh, tying into this whole systematic racism thing in that Brandeis University put out a whole bunch of guides warning students not to say, and let me scroll down, look at this, picnic, rule of thumb, or several other words because they are quote unquote oppressive. Now, Joyce Carol Oates, who I think might have been a graduate from Brandeis, she's a famous novelist. I remember I had to read her growing up. I was an English major, of course. Uh, she has spoken out against this. Oh, here you go. Here's the, here's the whole list. You're not allowed to say killing it, picnic, rule of thumb, prostitute, go off the reservation, you guys, freshman, crazy, lame, <laughs> victim, survivor, tribe, powwow, spirit animal, Really, you can't say fucking spirit animal. Mentally ill, addict, homeless person, disabled person, trigger warning. So now you can't say disabled person. <laughs> you already can't say retard. We know that. Trigger warning. You can't say trigger warning because apparently that's triggering. Take a stab at. I, I don't know. Why can't you take take a stab at? Or do they have a lot of killers on campus that they, they're offended by taking a stab at something? Are they failed killers? Is that why you can't take a stab at something? People are so bad at killing that they get they get approved for college applications. They get on campus, and then we have to take care of their fucking mental state by saying, "Don't take a stab at." You'll hurt somebody's fingers, their feelings. Policemen, you can't say policemen. Congressmen or insane. So this is the list. Now Joyce Carol Oates had come out and said, "This is a bunch of BS." Rightly so. She's a novelist, and we understand how you can't say that words you you just unanimously have to be boycotted because of the way in which they might make people feel. And Brandeis was arguing that picnic could not be said because, in some instances, people would go to see a black person lynched and sit down and have a picnic there. Not that this was the genesis of the word picnic, not that every picnic for the first 60 years of uh, American history was based around lynchings, none of that. Just that at some point, somewhere in history, somebody had a picnic during a lynching, at least according to some reports. I mean, this is the madness that we're dealing with here. This is why... You're talking about critical race theory, um, which is what everybody's talking about. And I know I'll, I'll probably get into that a little bit more next week. I'm going to be having on uh, Olivia Rondeau, who I'm, I'm really looking forward to. She is, a, uh, of course, a collegiate wrestler. You may have heard about her. So she's going to be coming on. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about CRT with her. But this is why you can see this insidious nature of this type of thought, right? And CRT ties into that, you know, kind of getting into racial essentialism, getting into labeling certain words, certain phrases, even, and of course, teaching your children that they are different because of their color, that they need to, to operate differently within the world, think differently within the world at all times because of the color of their skin. I mean, this is a sickness and it is invading into every aspect of life. And that is the problem here. When we talk about 
just basic communications. And I said this before when we talked about math and how math was racist to some people now. You couldn't teach the Western version of gravity, right? You had to avoid referencing certain people and certain accomplishments because they were white males based in colonialism and all this other shit. When we talk about that, you're talking about breaking down the way in which people communicate. And if we're breaking down the things that we agree on, the meanings of words that everybody uses universally and saying you can no longer say these things because they might be hurtful in some way, and now you're teaching children that these words are racist or have racist implications, you are breaking down the common bonds of society, right? And that is a bigger issue than people want to let on and is the really what I find most worrying about all of this CRT, all of this race baiting uh, that's going on in colleges and all of this changing of what is taught and how we look at history. If we don't have some sort of commonality in what we can view as these things occurred in a certain manner, right? And, that, and that's not to say that history is accurate completely. I know that history has been written by the victors in many cases, but there is some sort of objective history out there that most historians agree on based upon facts, based upon documents that have been found and the recreation of the people in their own words that were there at the time. And to reject those things, to reject the words in which they're using, to reject the math that they live by, this is just craziness. So one thing that's kind of interesting, though, is, uh, and I know I think Florida just approved this. Yes, new, new law requires Florida students to be taught about the evils of communism. I'm very torn on this, not because communism isn't one of the greatest evils that has ever overtaken humanity and is now a threat, I think, more than it has been in the past 50 years of reemerging, at least socialism, which, of course, leads into communism, is, is uh, threatening to reemerge. But I'm reading about this, you know, this being taught about the evils of communism, I think this is a good thing. And I think that empirically, it is a historical fact that's hard to argue with that communism is a evil. It is a cor ultimately corruptible system of governance that takes away people's freedoms, that takes away people's ability to live, and has led to mass starvation, mass deaths, and just tragedies like the world has never experienced under any other form of government. Not even dictatorships, not even, uh, you know, whatever, not even your theocratic rulers have in, I've really incorporated the levels of mass starvation, mass incarceration that we've seen under communism. And what's funny is that, of course, the United States has, uh, I think, the biggest prison state right now. And we're under a pretend democracy or a pretend republic. But we also see a new poll just came out saying that the growing majority of young adults in the U.S. have a more negative view of capitalism according to a new survey from Axios and Momentive. Now, I, granted, Axios, I think, probably skews left. I don't know what Momentive is. But according to their survey, 54% of Gen Z adults said they had a negative view of capitalism, while 42% reported having a positive view. The number of 18 to 34-year-olds who have a positive view of capitalism also appears to be shrinking. 49% said they had a positive view. 46 said they view it negatively. Uh, just two years ago, 58% said they viewed it positively. So that's a problem. And again, this ties into, I think, how we communicate your versus the. We talk about capitalism. Capitalism is the greatest gift to Americans, not only Americans, the greatest gift to the world insofar as it has lifted people out of poverty. But we need to make that personal. We need to talk to people out about how you have been affected by capitalism. How while you might complain about capitalism in its current form of crony capitalism, 
and how crony capitalism has attacked your best way to move forward, your best uh, choices in life, how crony capitalism had taken away your ability to get a, a, a well-paying job because that money has been funneled upwards to the biggest corporations, how it's taken away your choice in how you go to your educational institutions because it has driven up the price of everything by virtue of these government, large government bailouts. This, you know, you're building up a deep debt that didn't need to exist before and didn't have to exist in the past because you could get a job working at a pizza place and pay your way through college. And now you cannot afford to do that because the government has backed all of these loan programs that have driven up the accessibility for money. And every time we see your college raise its tuition as the government gives you more access to that free money, despite the fact that it's putting you in debt. You see, uh, you see, I'm trying to change the way I'm discussing these things, right? But anyway, if we get back to this concept of you know forcing people to talk about the evils of communism, I mean, right off the bat, if you're talking about a bill that says you have to teach the evils of communism, well, from a pure messaging standpoint, that's going to make people suspicious of it, is it not? I mean, for Christ's sake, you talk about the evils of something, it may, you know you're not going to get necessarily a fair shake at it if you're only teaching the evils of it. Better to just say you need to teach the historical facts about communism, the historical drawbacks about communism, so that people can make their own decisions on these things. Maybe Florida doesn't trust its teachers to do that because we've seen teachers' unions are more or less now getting behind CRT, getting behind socialism, getting behind Marxism. These people have been trained in this. They're coming straight out of these college environments wherein they are sold these uh, this false bill of Marx's goods and they want to teach it to our children. And if you believe, I can't remember what, what Russian uh, diktat was talking about, how this was Russia's grand plan uh, to slowly infiltrate American universities. It certainly seems like it's come to fruition. But school choice is really the way to solve this, right? I mean, when we talk about CRT or communism or whatever it might be, having more school choice is the way to go. Telling people that your dollars can be spent on wherever you want to send your kids for education. Why should you be forced to send your child to this public institution where you have virtually no control other than trying to get on a parent-teacher board, trying to get in your local PTA, trying to influence, slowly turn the wheels of progress back towards your direction. In the meantime, risk being ostracized by your community. Risk having the local news media do a profile on you daring to stand up and say what you believe in when it comes to teaching your child to hate themselves if they happen to be white. What an amazing concept to instead embrace the fact that you should be able to spend your child's tax dollars on the education as they choose. Your tax dollars should be allocated to the child, not to the government, not to the public institutions, right? And right now, for every child that's out there in the, in the preponderance of, of uh, states and communities and counties, your tax dollars are not allocated to a child, not to your child. That's for damn sure. Instead, they're allocated to a school based upon the presumption that your child will be going there. So if you want to pay out of your pocket for some private institution, go for it. But they still get your money regardless. Can't we change this? I know someplace I believe Texas has already done this in certain spots, maybe maybe statewide. I believe actually Eric Brakey was saying that this is one of the things that they were fighting for and maybe maybe they've achieved it. But getting that tax dollar allocation, getting your money in hand allocated to your child. And maybe they're going to make you spend that money on that kid going to school. 
Can't say I'm for the government making you spend your money on anything specifically, but at least you have the choice. At least you can decide if you want to send your child to a CRT teaching school, then you can go for it. That's one option. If you want to teach your child that communism is evil and they should look at it as under the historical context of millions massacred by this philosophy, then you can have a school for that. And if you want to find a school that just teaches it straight down the middle, Let's the kids make their own decisions. We're just going to give you a historical context. We're going to give a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little buffet style, CRT and communism. We'll lump it together on the plate. We'll mix it together a little bit. Let you choose uh, how, to, how to weed it out in your own mind. Well, that's another option. But give people the choice to do that. Instead of, you know, mandating that this is statewide being taught. And you know some teachers are going to rebel against it. You know it's going to be a problem in some situations. You know that children are going to automatically rebel against this concept in certain ways. And the thing about that is that I already see, and just in talking to people online and just in seeing how some of the younger generation is responding, again, not the 18 to 24-year-olds, but the generation under that, they are pushing back against this race-baiting horseshit. They're pushing back against CRT. They're pushing back against cancel culture. Why are they doing this? Hopefully, it's because they have better brains on their shoulders than the previous generation that's adopted all this, but it could come down to something as simple as this. And no, I'm not going to tell you you're not thug. <laughs> I promise. No, it's something as simple as the kids want to rebel. What's the popular uh, concept right now? It's that everybody's racist. It's that white people are evil. It's that we have to be viewed only on the color of our skin. That's what they're being taught. That's what the media is parroting. That's what corporate cronyists are putting out there. That's what we're seeing on every commercial put out by Procter, Procter and Gamble today is that we have to widen the screen. We have to view black, black people and all this, blah, blah, blah. All right. And I actually like that commercial. If you see that Procter and Gamble widen the screen commercial, it just shows black people in everyday situations where it opens as though you're like, uh oh, that guy's got dreadlocks. What's he going to do? And then it kind of ends with a guy going into a birthday party and hugging a kid. I like that concept, but point being, everybody's doing the same, same thing, right? The kids are all right. The kids are seeing this. The kids are pushing back against it. And again, it may be as simple as them just saying, this is what's going on. I'm rebelling because I'm young, you're old, and you're stupid. And in this situation, I hope they view us all as very old and very stupid and decide to move on from this nonsense. Oh, all right. Last thing, uh, this is a story, guys. I'm I'm following it along. You know, we got tagged by the uh, the local Libertarian Party in Denver. But if you're not familiar with this story, there was a shooting last Monday in Old Town Arvada, which is in uh, I guess around Denver. But what had happened was that a good Samaritan named John Hurley had run in to an active shooting going on and basically stopped it. He, he had stopped it by virtue of his, you know, his bravery. People on the scene, I was reading some news articles about this, were saying he ran in. He said, look, everybody get, get back, get back. I'm going to go in. He was telling people to keep down. He was trying to do the right thing. And he ran in there. He was armed and went in and stopped this, you know, stopped this, this shooting from going on. However, apparently he was killed by a police officer who ran in at, you know, I guess moments later to try to stop the shooting himself. And he got killed. Now, there's still stories coming out about this. There's still facts coming out. I guess this was taking place at, uh, let's see. I'm trying to see where this exactly happened. Old Town. Well, sorry, guys. Like I said, I'm doing a live video here, so I'm not going to spend too much time about it. But 
apparently, you know, this guy was a libertarian, an active libertarian. They're not saying this in this article that I'm reading here, but the fact that we were tagged in this uh, this party by the Denver Libertarian Party, they tagged him and have him in a T-shirt for the Libertarian Party in Colorado. Um, you know, it goes to show you, it's not just about preaching, but this guy actually practiced what he preached. Um, you know, Hurley, uh, he practiced what he preached, man. You know, he carried... He probably had a permit for that gun, you know, which I don't think you should need, but he probably had a permit to uh, conceal carry or open carry there in Denver. And uh, he was a hero, man. And, you know, sometimes you die for what you believe in. And this guy died for what he believed in, but he died saving other people's lives. And we talk about how important it is for everybody to be armed. We have to see what all the facts come out about this story are, but it certainly seems like libertarian um, John Hurley lived up to every libertarian value that we would want from somebody, uh, put himself out there trying to do the right thing, uh, showed what you can do when you're armed, when you know how to use a firearm, when you're able to carry that firearm in public and how he was able to, uh, to stand up and stop a lot of unnecessary death. Unfortunately, he himself died. And the irony of course, is that he was killed by an agent of the state. So, a little bit of a downer way to end our episode here, guys, but uh, such is life. Such is life. Hope you enjoyed the live stream here. Not, you know, not live stream. Hope you enjoyed the video stream that I'm doing here. Uh, I'll probably get a little bit better at this as I go along. I'm trying to figure out ways in which I can kind of edit it. Today, I'm using uh, StreamYard because it allows me to start it up, have my little intro music, and, uh, and have the nice backgrounds and the branding. Oh, the branding up here and all that good stuff. So don't forget, please, to subscribe to us on YouTube. We're going to be doing a lot more video content if you haven't realized that by now. So go and subscribe to us on YouTube. If you haven't uh, already subscribed to the podcast, audio podcast, do me a favor. Go subscribe to that, too, guys. We're still trying to grow this show. I just got some, you know, it's been a horrible year. <laughs> I got more bad news today insofar as as my uh, my regular career and just, yeesh, man, my God. So I would love to this, as, as would John and Mark, we would all love to be doing this full time to come to you guys, be able to do far more content for you, far more podcasts, far more depth in depth content uh, podcasts. <laughs> I'm losing my mind as I'm talking here. More in depth content is what I'm saying, and be able to dedicate far more time into doing this. But uh, to do that, we got to get a lot bigger. We got to get a lot more of you people on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. So guys, that's going to do it for me. Reminder, listen to Mark Claire on Mondays with the flagship Lions of Liberty show. Of course, we got John Odermatt with Finding Freedom on Thursdays. So uh, listen to that tomorrow. Make sure to subscribe to all of them, guys. And please do share the show. I feel like this show was especially important, right? I'm telling you. You might not think that what I was saying at the top of the program is profound. I'm telling you it is. I've been doing messaging, I've been doing public relations communications for almost 20 years now. I am telling you this kind of shift in how we think about talking to people will pay off massively. Please share the show. Please tell a friend. Please post this around to the other groups you're in. Please retweet it. Follow me on Twitter at Brian McWilliams. Follow us at Lions Liberty. And uh, yeah. Be a good Samaritan in that way, even if you can't uh, can't be as good a Samaritan as John Hurley was in his heroic act. All right, guys, that's going to do it. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty. 